Hi, I'm Malted Leonard. This episode of Old Movies for Young Stoners contains discussion of a harmful movie studio that is currently trying to have it both ways by saying that they didn't know their support of a don't say gay bill would in any way harm LGBTQ plus people. These actions were wrong when they happened a week and a half ago, and they're still wrong now. While we'd like to call bullshit on this, we at Old Movies for Young Stoners believe in discussing problematic works from problematic producers because we'd have nothing to talk about on this show if we didn't. Old Movies for Young Stoners Old Movies for Young Stoners With Bob Calhoun This is Old Movies for Young Stoners, the podcast for cineasts and potheads and cineast potheads, where we pair classic, forgotten, and just plain weird movies from the past with the right strain of green bud to enhance your trip through cinema history. On today's episode, we journey into the magical kingdom of Disney+. Plus. Now you're done with Book of Boba Fett, Hawkeye, WandaVision, whatever vision. Yes, you've binged all the Baby Yoda that the Mandalorian is going to give you, but you're still paying for Disney Plus every month, and you keep forgetting to cancel it. But do not despair. Disney Plus has some of the most psychedelic pieces of propaganda ever produced, so prepare to have your mind blown while being thoroughly indoctrinated by the three caballeros, Donald Duck's tripped-out tour of Latin America, and the space-age nonsense of Mars and Beyond. Walt's weird visions are all right here on episode number three of Old Movies. For young stoners. And we are back on Old Movies for Young Stoners. I am Bob Calhoun, author of The Murders That Made Us, a true crime history of the San Francisco Bay Area, and the punk wrestling memoir, Beer, Blood, and Cornmeal, both available from ECW Press. And joining me, he is the co-founder of Six Point Harness Studios and the animation director of the Oscar-winning short Hair Love and Tignataro Drawn, now streaming on HBO Max. This man has definitely smoked a lot of grass. Please welcome Greg Franklin. Hey, thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. And he is our official bud tender here on Old Movies for Young Stoners and your guide on the Hollywood Punk Rock Graveyard Tour, a socially distanced walking tour visiting the final resting places of some of punk and goth's biggest legends. You can search for it on Facebook or find it on Instagram at Punk Rock Graveyard Tour. Let's hear it for Corey Sklar. Bob, Greg, I'm so happy to be back here with you. Just us three gay caballeros. Yes. They say we are birds of a feather. Now, now before we dive into Disney Plus, there's this Disney plan community in Rancho Mirage, California. 
You know, if it's not enough for you that they control almost every screen at the multiplex, now you can live in a Disney condo in a gated community with Disney cosplayers running around the cul-de-sacs. Oh, boy. That's going to be where now? In Rancho Cucamonga? Rancho Mirage. So by Palm Springs, basically. And um, I was there this weekend. And I was in the Andreas Canyon walking around. And I have to admit that I am a Disney weirdo in a way. And I've actually backed off the last couple of years because I've seen the error of my ways. But I've never been a huge fan of the films or the characters. But I love Disneyland. I love the artisanship. I love the weird robots. I love how old it is. Feels like actual magic in that weird little part of Anaheim. But no, I was at, I was in Palm Springs this weekend, and I was in Andreas Canyon. And I was looking around. I'm going, and I'm thinking to myself, "Gosh, this is so beautiful and so amazing and so magical. Disneyland's just like fake this. Why would you ever go to Disneyland again when <laughs> when this is for free? This beautiful nature, right? But they're building it right there, and like the beautiful nature, where they're gonna ruin it anyway. This whole thing seems crazy. Well, well, well Corey, you know you you're you're a huge Disney fan. Can you imagine? the fandom level it would take to move into a Disney owned town. I, I think it would, that, I, I are think, you, are you I, anywhere near that level? No, no. I, but I could see myself <laughs> in like in another, in another alternate reality. If I had enough money and I just wanted to escape the reality that much that I would just give my lives to these Imagineers. Right. But no, I can never see myself doing this. I like living in cities too much. I like the hustle and bustle of the real world. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I think, Disney's lost its magic in the last couple decades. That's just me. So I don't really trust this kind of thing. And as someone who loves... Just in the last couple days. uh, In the last couple days, yeah. It's really... I I think um, it it is kind of fortuitous that we record this episode now before Disney is completely canceled like next week. Oh, yeah, yeah, the the Florida thing. and The Florida thing. I, I, I've been to one of these towns, too, and it was in Florida. You've been There's to you've been to a planned Disney community? I have been to one, and it's called Whoa. Celebration, and it's in Florida. I It's a, a long story, but I ended up in Orlando for an extra few days. I was doing a, a weird graphic design freelance job, and I did it in half the time that I was scheduled to be out there. So I was pretty bored. And, you know, my friend took me over to Celebration and it was creepy. It is a very Stepford-esque kind of community. The houses are all perfect. You feel like you're on a movie set. You feel like you're at an expanded version of Disneyland's Main Street. And it was around Christmas time when I went and so when we went to the downtown area, it snowed in Florida. And it snowed at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, <laughs> all the way until the sun went down. It was, it was snowing at some kind of a, of a special effect that was probably toxic. You know, I could only imagine what they were pumping into the air to make it snow, but... It was a very unnerving experience, and from what I understand, the it's it's like a twenty year waiting list to even move into this place. Wow! If you that's... wanted to to buy a house in celebration. Now I've been on a Disney cruise, uh, mm. which was the TCM cruise, and mm-hmm. you know I've been on two TCM cruises. I'll never go on a cruise again. You can you could bank on that. 
but um, already felt bad about it the first time around in a way, because I know the industry is horrifying and terrible. But mm. the first cruise was like on Carnival or something. It was the very first TCM cruise. And it was, you know, everybody, all the, all the, like, all the wait staff and stuff, they act like they're your best friend, even though, you know, they probably think about murdering everybody <laughs> on the ship. <laughs> you know, when they go to bed in their tiny cramped quarters, they're like, just, they, they are, yes. they, they are not your friends and you should not think you're their friends. But I mean, I do tip generously. And I drink a lot. So maybe maybe they like me better than those people that don't tip at all. I can only hope. And, you know, there was a casino. And the people on the cruise, like the, the other cruise attendees, were just weirdos. Like old movie weirdos. Where the Disney cruise, I really felt like I was, I was on the wrong side of Get Out. Where I was the evil, where I was the evil white person who was buying the minorities, and like oh everybody would kind of like everybody on that cruise. Like instead of the the you know Jamaican guys acting like they're my best friend, it was like they just had this rigid script, and if you tried to like engage anybody to get them to go off the script at all, it like looked like it pained them. Oh my god! It probably did, literally. You know, yeah. like maybe not then, but later on. We had one server, like you know, you're see, you have your meal at a planned time, and you're sit at a table with a bunch of people, and everybody else were such like kind of TCM nerds that they were all booked in mm-hmm. like meet and greets with with Ben Mankiewicz all the time. So they weren't doing the dinner and Rosie and I would be the only people sitting at the table. And the guy like was kind of so desperate. Like he would ask us where the other people were. Like it was reflecting badly on him. And I was like, what is Bob Iger holding his family hostage or something? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was, I I just can't like, I, I just didn't enjoy like, I just didn't enjoy that mm-hmm. level of Disney experience. Yeah, we, 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 it's not for people like us. And Greg being at the, you know, Greg was like at that celebration Florida community, like Rowdy Rowdy Piper in downtown LA. And they live going like, I could see behind all this bullshit. <laughs> but people want to buy into the bullshit, right? I they think all, it, all of this, to it. all of this speaks to just like, this thing, these, this company, this little company that started telling these stories and not saying they've always been innocent. Walt, we know he has his demons, but uh, you we're know, going to get to those later. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, they harnessed magic and artwork, right? And sold it. And now it's just so big and unwieldy that it's like, it's just touches all these terrible dystopian parts of, of our pocketbook, of planned community cruises. It's just everything. It's too big now. It's too unwieldy. So, I don't know. Maybe we could get back to what makes this stuff special and why why people fell in love with it in the first place with these movies today. Get back to where we once belonged uh, <laughs> on Disney oh, Plus man. now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and hey, before we get into these movies, mm-hmm. uh, I I am told by by desperate uh, internet marketers that uh, we are a hit in Australia. 
Uh, Amazing. Yeah, Carlos from podstatus.com emailed me yesterday to let me know that Old Movies for Young Stoners is coming in at number 199 in the TV and film category on the Apple Podcast Charts Down Under. So thanks, everyone in Australia, for listening, and please tell your mates. Is Carlos from podstatus.com one of those birds from that movie we watched? Just kidding. Hey, <clears throat> thank you so much, Australia. If you're Australian and you're listening to this right now, um, email us. I want to know who you are and give you a shout out. What's the email, Bob? Yeah, it is oldmoviesforyoungstoners at gmail.com. That's all spelled out, oldmoviesforyoungstoners. Four is F-O-R, no number four here. Nice. Awesome. And hey, before we go, I have one last Disney thing. When I when I worked at Cartoon Network in Burbank, it was very, very difficult to smoke weed and make cartoons there. The police station is right next door to Cartoon Network, and the police station itself was designed by Disney. Wow. So the building, there's a museum of, of Burbank police that shows their old cars <laughs> the old like horse drawn buggies i had no idea about that that's amazing i had no idea that's blowing my mind right now i never went inside because you know i didn't want to go in there like reeking of weed to the burbank police department museum uh but yeah it is it is there so disney has its it's 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 architectural like you'll find out that some old building is now into Scientology or you know you find out that some you know state of the art facility is created by Disney we are surrounded by these cults once you start reading about Orlando and that shell company that they created in in Orlando to build Disney World and it gets shady and weird and it gets political and you don't fall out down that rabbit hole unless you smoke a lot of weed that's what I'll say yeah, smoking weed and getting into Disney conspiracy theories go together like peanut butter and fucking jelly. Walt Disney does it again. For the merriest musical screen surprise of them all is headed your way. First, a new personality is added to the Disney Hall of Famous Characters. Panchito, the Mexican rooster. A two-gun charro who joins his fine-feathered friends Donald Duck and Joe Carioca. Son of a gun, it's a pleasure to see such fine gentlemen in Mexico. We're three caballeros, three gay caballeros. They say we are birds of a feather. And for our first movie, we have Donald Duck flying around Latin America on a magic serape and sexually harassing Acapulco beach babes and Latina songstresses. Along for the ride are Panchito, the pistol-packing Mexican rooster, and Jose, the suave Brazilian parrot, who both seem amused yet pained by Donald's pervy antics. It is a kaleidoscopic combo of Disney animation and Technicolor live action from 1944 called The Three Caballeros. It was produced with a nudge from the U.S. government to generate goodwill across the Americas and teach war-weary gringos about our Latin American allies. It is maybe the trippiest film ever produced, and it is also so wrong in so many ways. Uh, Corey, as a Mexican-American and a Disney nerd, how do you feel about this movie? Well, uh, let me start by saying I have seen this one before, 
and I saw it. I remember it being a movie that they'd put on in school during uh, when substitutes would come because the substitutes wouldn't want to teach us anything. So they throw on the three caballeros for some reason. I mean, the public school must have like just like gave that away to everybody. I remember all these images. I remember flashing before my eyes as a kid and not understanding anything this movie was about. And all these years later, I have the same exact feeling. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as this movie starts, I don't understand a thing Donald is saying. He's just like making noise. And I remember being a kid and thinking the same thing. Like, I don't know what this duck is saying. I'm not a big Donald Duck fan. I'm not a big Mickey fan. It took me all this year until I watched this, this viewing to realize I'm not that into Disney cartoon characters. I love Bugs Bunny. I love Sylvester. I, Goofy and Pluto are kind of sick, I guess. Anyway, I'm not a big Donald Duck fan. <laughs> and especially not how horny he is in this movie. He's the horniest cartoon I've ever seen in this movie. But it's not Fritz yes. the Cat, I guess. But, um, okay. So it just drops you in... <laughs> I don't, I don't know what's happening. So but I guess Donald's getting presents and he's opening the presents and then we, they have to do with cartoons and, and stories and stuff. So it just drops me right into this cartoon about a penguin, right? Who like wants to go live in the island. Mm -hmm. And already I'm like, why, should my, why am I supposed to be into this? Why do I care about this penguin? What's happening? I don't, it's just a cacophony of things happening, okay? And nothing trippy is happening yet. So it's just like it's just like a boring old cartoon. The storytelling for Disney being the best storytellers ever of all time. Storytelling is completely lacking in this thing. As it goes on, and I'm, I'm remembering this movie. Okay, this movie's cool. The animation's getting weirder and weirder. The Brazil part, totally cool. That's so awesome. Once the music, it, they start animating to the music, right? And I'm getting more into it now. Still not totally. I have no idea what the story is. Um, but I am remembering this beautiful animation, which is really cool. Also, Donald just gets hornier and hornier and fetishizing this Latina woman. But yeah. this movie really starts cooking with gas during the Mexico sequence. Specifically, mm -hmm. specifically during a, a pink elephants type animation. Maybe Greg could speak more to it. Which is really the highlight of this movie. And also the, the really cool geometric part of the movie where the, where they start animating Donald into this like sound wave kind of thing. It's mind-blowing to watch. But I don't know who this movie was made for because I can as a little kid, it just washed over me and I didn't retain any of it. Then this movie's definitely not made for little kids, right? Like what little kid is going to be into this geographic uh, adventure around the world with birds? I don't know. Um I have such a low attention span that I, this thing did not... I was looking at my phone during this thing. The storytelling did not hold my attention. This movie is good in 2022 with all of its racism and all of its camp as maybe on um, when you're in a tiki bar, it's on like in the background on mute. Maybe that's how this movie works best. Or if you're like cool surf rock band is playing and it's like projected behind you or something <laughs> like that. Um, the music is pretty cool, but uh, yeah, it didn't. Uh, the Three yeah. Caballeros did not hold my attention much, but I got to say the animation really, really is amazing. And I don't know, that's it, I didn't love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I can definitely uh, chime in here. And, and for all of our listeners, the viewers can skip the first 20 minutes of this movie or spend that time getting high. That's what I would do. Take care of your business. You need to get as high as possible to watch this movie. I I feel like that visually this movie definitely benefited from Walt's non 
paying attention to it. You know, there were there was a, a a couple of these movies that were part of this kind of anti-communist agenda. No, anti-Nazi. You know, you're we are uh, communists. There are allies still. It's oh, during World sorry. War Two. Sorry, sorry, uh, sorry to mansplain. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's just it's just like they're trying to. It's as a propaganda uh, campaign. You know, when you ask who this movie. Who this is for? The State it's Department. For, <laughs> it's for uh, it's for everybody to love and appreciate each other, right? It's for it's to get these two vastly different cultures together. To the you know to the to the subject of uh, Donald's horniness. I mean, I always look at that as a uh, you know Donald is representing America. You know, he's yes. very white. He's got a red, white, and blue suit on, basically, and he is the quintessential ugly American in this movie. He he can't pronounce. I mean, you can you can say it's okay that he can't pronounce anything in Spanish. He can't pronounce anything. Period. He is particularly <laughs> bad. And as somebody that has worked on a Donald Duck cartoon in the past, I I, I directed three episodes of the. Three Caballeros reboot, which is also on Disney Plus. It was very eye opening to see how writers would give Donald Duck all this dialogue, and he can maybe say like three things that you can understand. They the the writers quickly learned that you had to give all the lines to Jose and Panchito, and then have Donald say yeah, you know, <laughs> like that's that's. The only way you can get through it, and the guy who who does Donald now is, you know, he can only record for thirty minutes at a time, you know, or because it's all there's no vocal cords and it's like a, he's just pushing air through his cheeks and doing like this. I can't do it, but he's doing this weird thing. Like Donald is just this incoherent, blathering white fat person who is lusting after latinas and i understand <laughs> this point of view i totally get this point of view i know it's wrong i know it's it's very deeply wrong i uh watched it with my daughter and her significant other who are pretty much the most woke people and you could freaking imagine and they're like they were hating Donald before it even, he even did anything. They were just like, ah, I hate him. He's like so awful. I'm like, well, you're really going to hate him pretty soon. As soon as he starts dive bombing the Alcapulco beach. Y yes, it's wrong, but it's also wrong. And it's beautiful at the same time. There, there, there is like beautiful animation. This kind of touches on a lot of issues of cultural appropriation. This is definitely an example of cultural appropriation. And yet there is that kind of ideal that what can happen when two cultures come together and you are filtering authentic Latin American culture through the most uh, high-level technology and production and the highest-level production you can imagine. And, of course, it distorts everything and is completely crazy but at the same time this movie has no real purpose other than to show us something that's beautiful and new eye candy that's the entire point of the movie so yeah screw screw the flying donkey short screw the penguin all that stuff 
fast forward to Donald opening the book and getting into the the craziness because this movie like it takes you on a visual freaking trip like no other film that has ever existed. Well, it's def- uh, it's definitely good. psychedelic. And what year was this? Yeah. What, what 44. Y- so this is 44. There was kind of where mm-hmm. is this psychedelia coming from? Was this just out of the artist's mind? Yes. Greg, is this just yeah, yes. like like who's who's directing who's who's designing this psychedelic trip of of something that people have never seen before probably before 44, you know? It was directed by a man named Norm Ferguson. And Norm Ferguson is a Disney animator who kind of stepped up the ranks to become a director. His claim to fame was this scene where where Pluto uh steps on flypaper and it was one of those kind of breakthrough pieces of animation where people are like my god they could see him thinking they could see it wasn't just like dancing around stuff it was like you could see the thought process of this cartoon dog and so he became a director after that and he was really a genius and and like i said you know there were there were issues with the making of these this it's supposed to be a trio of films uh saludos amigos being the first film which was actually we could have talked about that too because it's a very political film, um, which is which is kind of different. But this movie, there were issues with the war and the getting color film. There were issues with a lot of things, and so it delayed the the production of this film. And and Walt's attention went elsewhere. It's always been hard to tell like where does Walt and where do the animators like how does that like Walt controlled everything. But well, the best movies were the ones that he didn't really pay attention to, like Dumbo. And there you see like these crazy psychedelic sequences in Dumbo, and you see this amazing like cartooniness that comes out of Dumbo. And this movie too. And so that's how all this crazy stuff I I believe was able to happen because Walt wasn't micromanaging it like he was Bambi and all these other movies that lost a ton of money at the time. Well, well, we know where Walt stopped paying attention, which is when Donald goes to Brazil. Like Walt's paying attention <laughs> that penguin, yeah, and, yeah. and that other uh, thing because Walt's yeah. obsessed with gauchos. So is Steely Dan. <laughs> There's all these goofy cartoons where Goofy is a gaucho, and like mm. in the 30s, because I've gone down. Yes the rabbit hole of Disney plus animated shorts. Mm-hmm. Cause like Corey, like yeah. Disney, I always knew how all the Disney characters were and I would see them on the wonderful world of Disney. But mm-hmm. by being, by keeping everything in the vault, the way they do, I don't know those cartoons. I don't know those Disney shorts the way I know mm-hmm. Warner brothers, MGM, Fleischer brothers, Popeyes, Paramount Popeyes, like, because they dumped those things onto UHF and I would see them on Saturday mornings or when I got home from school, I, yeah. those cartoons play in a loop in my head, right. like all that stuff that's on tune in with me on me TV is mm-hmm. just in my head where Disney stuff. It's like, I know who Donald and Pluto are and I know who goofy is and Mickey, but I don't, I can't start telling you about those things. Yeah. So, we, we know them from t- right. from t-shirts and that's, yeah. that's, all, yeah. that's all we know them from. And like Bugs Bunny, but, I could tell you as a Jew from Brooklyn, you know, I don't know where the hell Mickey Mouse of is. Of course. From. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's oh, right. You're right to bring up, you're right to bring up Tex Avery though, because uh, you know, when you think about the animation scene in Hollywood at the time, Tex Avery 
he doesn't like resonate as big as as people know who the name Tex Avery, but those cartoons that he was doing at MGM were like the rudest, crudest, craziest things, and that is it influenced you know, and it influenced even Disney, who was like the biggest thing, and and so you know you could have you could see like Norm Ferguson and Ward Kimball saying to to Walt like we're gonna do like that Tex Avery stuff with this. And he's like, okay. It was a huge ripple. So there was like, at the time they were producing this, like fast-paced, crazy, but it gets interpreted in this Disney way that was so far, like, but think about those, uh, those Tex Avery cartoons where they would mix live action with animation, like the TV of tomorrow and these weird, like live action, or there was a, a Tex Avery cartoon where Droopy is a bullfighter that used the uh, beautiful live-action Latina at the end of that. So there's there's a lot of things influencing each other in this animation scene. So that was another reason why it got to be weird. And in Donald's defense, uh, these women are super babes, especially <laughs> Carmen Miranda's sister, Bob? Yes. Is that who it is? Yeah, that is Aurora Miranda, Carmen's little sister. She is awesome. She and, yeah, and she's so good who, in this movie. <laughs> who's the one with the cowboy hat? that is dancing with the cactuses. I don't know who she is. Dude, talk about horniness. Like, <laughs> the, this woman is making cact like these cactuses shaped like Donald Duck er erect into these gigantic phallic symbols that are like long cactuses that e literally ejaculate color onto the screen. Just, it's like this movie is so fucking horny. It, it just, <laughs> everything about it is fucking crazy. Well, what I about mean, when Donald, he's on the magic Serape and yeah. he's got the telescope. He's got the, oh. the looking glass and it goes, oh, you know, it stiffens yeah, up. It, it stiffens up. It fucking stiffens up. It these, gets erect. These dudes yes. knew exactly what they were doing too. You know what I mean? Come on. I mean, this isn't Donald, accidental. He's blindfolded. He's like reaching, trying to grope these women and stuff. But there's a, there is, I, I, I talked to my daughter and and her significant other after this, and they did point out that at no point in this movie were, was anyone ever sexually threatened by Donald Duck. They kind of, <laughs> they kind of pat him on the head and go like, "Oh, Pato Loco, you are, you are to be pitied." And, uh, and, and, and there's a charm that just is infused in this movie. Like, I love the scene where they have Donald Duck on the beach and they're, they have a blanket and they're throwing him up. And there's some kind of a flower sack or something that they're actually throwing in the air, but they're animating on top of it, creating this amazingly charming illusion of Donald's fat ass hitting the blanket. That is and animated. like... So beautifully, I can't. It blew me away. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And then it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. Like, like you get toward like the last quarter of this movie, and there's like a almost a nightmarish LSD part where uh -huh. Donald is is he's in love with the woman with the flower. She they're in, they're they're like superimposing the great uh, Iwerks did all these amazing visual effects with superimposing this woman's face. 
a live action face into a flower and Donald's in love and then but then a little green and red panchito will come shooting up everything and they speed it up so it's this kind of like part of the trip where you you know, is oh no you know <laughs> Yeah, it's like doing these rooms. I I, my, I said out loud. I was just watching this by myself, so no one even heard me. But I just said out loud, "Okay, this is just a horny fever dream now, a horny duck fever dream." <laughs> by the you know, it just really dev- it devolves yeah. into less like madness. It goes crazier and crazier, like you said, and and it is quite an evolution from that first fucking penguin story to the fever, the horny fever dream. This movie becomes by the end. Yeah. <laughs> um. I have to say, I saw this movie first at school, too. Only it wasn't just like the teacher's sick kind of, you know, in case of emergency break glass kind of movie. It was an assembly. This was like <laughs> a big deal. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. an assembly. Um, The school I went to, uh, Garfield, uh, I was in like the fourth grade. It was about half Chicano and half half gringos with a few other different ethnicities thrown in but it was mostly you were either mexican-american or you were you know white you know you were you were white american and i think it was shown to try to what it was originally produced for which was to try to foster Mm -hmm. a kind of understanding between between the white kids and the latino kids and i have to say I think us as kids were kind of bored of the whole beginning, the non-psychedelic beginning. And Mm -hmm. we were kind of into the Brazilian parrot, but nobody could relate to him. But Mm -hmm. the kids cheered when Panchito showed up. Oh, yeah. Like, kids were way into Panchito. (laughs) Like, and and it's that whole thing. You have to hear about it in these, like, kind of in these fandom circles now. You know, especially around like Disney Marvel projects or Pixar projects about power of representation. And I think people felt represented by Panchito. He was the Miles Morales of his time. He was. (laughs) But yeah, that that school, like that, this is like at the beginning or, or... near the beginning of the Chicano and the La Raza movement. And the principal Mm -hmm. of that school was Mr. Fernandez. It was not some clueless white principal or administrator showing it to us. It might've been forced on them by the school district, but we used to do these uh, Cinco de Mayo pageants and, and, you know, we'd have to do like these dances and things. Mm -hmm. And then the whole finale. And I kind of look forward to this, you know, three years in a row by the end would be Mr. Fernandez waving around the Mexican flag going, uh, Viva Redwood city, Viva Garfield, (laughs) Viva Mexico. And I'm like, I'm glad my, my Republican parents just didn't pay attention. Because it was the yeah. 70s. instead, Like, I could just imagine Tucker Carlson's head exploding. Oh, my God. You know, over this <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> I mean, controversial opinion. As a Mexican-American um, uh, and watching this movie in 2022, it's a little racist. It's not really racist. It's pretty... It's made from a place of love and art. And uh, it's, it's, it's only a little bit racist. So I wasn't offended by watching it. It's more camp than anything else, I would say. Yes. Well... Corey, thank you for taking the bullet, the many bullets that are in this movie, for for that opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what weed would you smoke with this besides all of it? Okay, well, um, 
This is yeah. what I suggest, and this is what I did during this movie. There are these new things at the uh, at the dispensary called Can Weed Soda, C A N N. Not a sponsor. I'm not. Mm. I'm not shilling for them. But I think this movie yeah. is one that you don't want to be too high for. So I drank these uh, things. I housed a four pack of them, and I had the grapefruit rosemary flavor. They were delicious. They're only two milligrams each and four milligrams of CBD. That's way less than I thought it was. <laughs> so yeah, and it, you know what? It kept me buzzy. It kept me a little stone. It got my brain working. Once the uh, penguin and the donkey stories were over and once we dove into Brazil and Mexico, I was buzzing along and dancing the samba. Can weed soda, or, and just like any kind of weed soda, I think is a good thing to drink throughout this movie. It's a short movie. That's so great. It's only a little and over an hour. Would probably make an excellent mixer with uh, uh, tequila, which might be a nice thing to like be an appropriate uh, aperitif for this uh, for this film. I might I might differ a little bit with you on this one. It, it depends on on who you are, but if you're um, an aging white cartoonist watching this m- film and you want to be stoned, I would I would wreck my brain with indica. I would I would make it feel like I have rocks on top of my head and just turn all the lights off in the house if if you're not if the music kind of makes you feel weird put on a record it's all about the visual for me and and if you don't want to hear donald i get it i think it's 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 a it's a great movie to be a little bit too high for in my opinion i smoked uh royal cherry diesel by key mm. which is what the uh, guy at the dispensary recommended when I said, what do I smoke (laughs) to watch the trippiest cartoon ever made? And Uh this is what he suggested. And it's 50% indica, 50% sativa. And Mm. one thing about it, one thing I'll say about it is it's sticky. It's sticky, bud. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not somebody who like traditionally smokes a lot of weed but it's been a while like since dispensaries since like weed's been quasi legalized i haven't had sticky bud in a long time it's like like oh wow this is really like sticky to the touch i like brought back memories of that and Mm -hmm. um i will say this for the high which I'm always doing this measured thing. Oh, a couple hits before I start the movie, then a couple hits, you know, a third of the way through. And just, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to track it. I'm not drinking alcohol, uh, at least not for this movie. Um, But when, like, you know, this movie undulates and it pulsates. (laughs) And and I will say this for Royal Cherry Diesel is it added to that. I was really like, when that rhythm, that samba rhythm or the mariachi rhythm starts and Mm -hmm. the colors are just pulsating. It's like I could really feel that and see it and trip on it. Totally. I mean, it, 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 it just pummels you with color and and beauty and craziness. You're like, okay, this movie's getting weird. And then it shows you like three bathing beauties descending into a, a pool. It's all green. And then Donald's like swimming around and, and you're just like, fuck. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like they took a Busby Berkeley musical from the 30s and made it in color and explosive yeah. color. Because there's definitely a Busby Berkeley influence yeah, in this. Absolutely. Yeah, they're that that's what's on their minds when they're mm-hmm. making this. That's definitely uh Walt's sticking it maybe to MGM a little bit too. Like it's it's a foray sure, for into sure. that. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's what I did, and it worked. It did work. So Nicholas at the Harborside, uh, <laughs> the Harborside. Uh, Shout out uh, to dispensary. Nicholas. Uh, you, you didn't. You did not steer me wrong, my friend. The Three Caballeros is available on Disney Plus, and you can rent the madness from Prime for three ninety nine, or buy it from Bezos for seventeen ninety nine, and relive the gentle racism. Ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Walt Disney. Thank you, Garko. In this exciting age when everyone seems to be talking about the future possibilities of space travel, there's much speculation on what we will discover when we visit other worlds. Will we find planets with only a low form of vegetable life? Or will they be mechanical robots controlled by superintelligent beings? One of the most fascinating fields of modern science deals with the possibility of life on other planets. This is our story. And for our second movie, we join Walt and his clunky robot pal Garko for Mars and Beyond, a full-color made-for-TV piece of space triumphalism. This dual infomercial for the new Disneyland theme park and America's still nascent space program is filled with lavish and surreal animated segments that take us from the dawn of human civilization to bonkers speculation on the possibility of life on the angry red planet. And before things can get a little too trippy for middle America, you've got footage of ex-Nazi rocket scientists lecturing us on the science of space travel to bring it all crashing back to Earth again. Uh, Greg. <laughs> yes. Greg, this is your movie. Uh, would you like to tell it us is. a little more about it? Well, yeah. I mean, this is not a movie that I grew up watching. This is a movie that I kind of discovered later in life working in animation. It was one of those ones where you could find it back in the old Comic-Con days where they would have a bunch of bootlegs. That is where I first purchased this movie. I had seen little clips of it, but all of my character designer pals were just huge fans of this movie. And so I did what this podcast is all about. And I smoked a bunch of weed and watched it. And it is just an absolutely beautiful piece of animation. It's inventive and crazy. And I would say for as much as it falls apart as a documentary, you know, normally a documentary that, that is this uh, speculative and light and inaccurate, frankly, is usually considered a drawback. But... They make the lack of knowledge of space uh, into a feature, and they kind of—it's almost a celebration of ignorance. I and and I remember as a kid, there was still like, uh, maybe there's people on Mars thinking. You know what I mean? There was still like, we don't know, we can't tell, we can't we can't see if there's ever been life on Mars before. When I was a kid, that that there was still like a maybe. When you smoked a bong and watched King Kong, there was this thing about that movie where it's like the whole world hasn't been searched yet maybe there's a remote island with giant apes that's about the same level as as mars and beyond i love the illustrations of all of the bullshit the incredible visualizations of uh ptolemy and all of the dark age there's a shot of the dark ages that's just magnificent it's 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 like uh 
it's a it's a very much a part of its time but at the same time it's able to spark a fascination about everything that we don't know to this day everybody's all science is just the best we can do at any given time and that's that's what i kind of like about looking back on it and 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 seeing it so that's why i, I picked this for our episode today now now one thing i i can say about it is the level of imagination in mm. envisioning creatures from other planets is is just amazing because mm. I, I don't I love fifties science fiction movies and I love fifties monster movies, so I don't want to sound like I'm slagging on those, but um, there are definitely some imaginative monsters like in the George Powell War of the Worlds and whatnot, but they are usually like you've got James Arness as the thing. They, they're they usually stuck in this humanoid form from mm-hmm. like James Arness as the thing to Zsa Zsa Gabor as the queen of outer space. And, yeah. you know, they're just stuck <laughs> Robbie there. the robot. Yeah. 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 Robbie. They're they're humanoid. They're stuck with humanoids. Where mm-hmm. where um, the animation of this, like just any crazy thing you can think of. And it's not stuck, <laughs> not just with with humanoids, but other Earth creatures. Like, you know, it's not just a different kind of cat or a dinosaur or something. It is just like the the craziness, the the uh, the um, sheer imagination uh, yeah. used to create these space creatures is really, really amazing. That's true. That's very true. I mean, you get like weird crystallization monsters and you get, there was like one that, um, that kind of, I had forgotten about that blew me away. It just looks like a bowling ball with eyes that has this weird blanket skin that wraps around him to shield him from the Martian winds. It's totally gorgeous at times. And it, and it's a range of, of things from very slapstick cartoon to uh to like almost realistic except for the fact that it's all made up i had never seen this before i never heard of this before i must have read the title or something going when i'm reading about the disneyland tv show and stuff i knew the disneyland tv show existed i didn't know what every episode was but i knew some episodes were davy crockett stories or or documentaries and i knew that disney was making documentaries about this around this time just like the lemur one where they they killed all those animals and stuff off the cliff and um, <laughs> the lemmings the lemmings one <laughs> yeah. so i'm i'm not gonna watch that that's depressing you know uh. so i never would have watched this otherwise assigned from this podcast i turned it on and i was so enthralled and i didn't look at my phone once and i didn't realize it i was lost in this world it bombards you so hard right away <laughs> with so much cool character design and so many gags, and the gags work. And as soon as it starts, you hear Paul Frees' voice, right? Who is the the pretty much the voice yeah. of Disneyland, the ghost host on uh, Haunted Mansion, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one who tells you when you're in the tram driving in that you're gonna have a great day. His voice just already puts you like in. He's perfect for this. Um, this whole narration. He's he's talking the whole time. It, it for being stoned, it's incredible because yeah, it asks the the ultimate stone questions. Where do we come from? Why are we here? And it goes mm-hmm. through all the different iterations of history of, of what people thought, why we're here and where we came from. The segments where it goes into uh, each, each part of history and human thought and what we thought space was and what we thought humanity was and what we thought aliens were, they only last about 30 seconds each. So you get so much information 
and so many cool characters and so many gags. You could push pause anywhere in this movie and it'll be dope looking. You know what I mean? And it, there's <laughs> oh, so yeah. much attention to design that I'm going to have to watch this five times probably to, to really notice every, you know, there's so much going on in this, in these small scenes. And the thing about this movie is it made me feel that fucking Disney magic. It made me feel that sense of wonder. And even the way the sound design was with these crazy aliens, it gave me that feeling of, oh, this is what I'm always chasing when I'm looking for weird cartoons or trippy movies. It's in this movie. This movie has it all. It is so beautiful. And not only that, I can see how somebody watching this young would want to make cartoons when they get older or want to make films or just want to make things that make you feel weird. So I don't see the obvious influence in this. Like um, I see it, the influence this thing had on things like La Planet Savage, of course, and Wizards, maybe. Mm -hmm. But I also see stuff like right. er early David Lynch and uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Holy Mountain. Like, I see it kind of in there, too. Like, just the landscapes in the background and how weird everything makes you feel in this movie. This mm -hmm. was a total revelation for me and totally blew my mind, and I fell in love with it. And I just, to everyone out there, please watch this thing while it's available. I can't believe more people don't talk about this thing. I can't believe in in a day in a day and age where, I know when in a day and age where everything Disney is merchandised to hell and sold to people like me who like oh tiki bar people and punk people you know there's definitely three caballeros um, tiki mugs and stuff like that I can't believe sure. that every one of these aliens on on a t-shirt people don't have full <laughs> rockabilly dudes in Alameda don't have full sleeve tattoos of all these characters these are this is the coolest thing I've seen in a long long time and it was just an absolute treat to discover in a total masterpiece now now there might be rockabilly dudes in alameda with uh sleeve tattoos of werner von braun that's that's where it all becomes a bummer it's like mm -hmm. you can pause any second of this while it's the the ward kimball animation and it's gonna be magical but then mm -hmm. like werner shows up in his pleated pants and, you know, he's telling you about the science, you know, this is where it gets educational. He's telling you about the science of rocketry and space exploration. And that stuff, you know, that stuff worked for me, though. It worked for me in, no, the, in, the, in the, well, whole, the whole piece. And, and the, the science is completely shoddy and outdated in this thing, but it doesn't matter. It's because it, right. it's, just, it's just a backdrop to show this trippy shit. Well, but yeah, 12 years <laughs> later, I mean, it was Werner, it was Werner von Braun's, uh, uh, technology that got us got the United States to the moon. So, I mean, it it is dated, but it's it is on the way there. Separate the art from the artist. <laughs> yeah, you have to. You have to with, with him. I mean, uh, for for people who don't know, he was the uh, V two Nazi rocket scientist, and the U.S. Army had you know once he defected over to us, or we captured him and brought him over to work on our missiles and space program. Uh, the army kept his Nazi records away from the American public, away from the world. But there was always that kind of plausible deniability thing that, or that mm -hmm. oh, I didn't really know that what was going on at the camps. But it turned out after he died, it, it was revealed, uh, records came out, that the, his uh, program used prison camp labor. 
and he was Oof. he oversaw uh, prison camp people. So so this is where the whole thing of Walt being the only movie mogul who wasn't Jewish comes in because right. I just don't see like Jack yeah. Warner or Daryl of Sanic playing ball so much <laughs> with with Warner yeah. there. But um, yeah, good point. Good. We point. talked about how this this movie was an influence on David Lynch and other filmmakers, but it's the it's the Werner von Braun segments that I believe are an influence on Kubrick. First, he's showing that round. I, I, maybe it's not in mm. Mars and Beyond, but maybe it's in the other two space. There's uh, there's a couple right. of these. This is by far the most entertaining of them. But Man in Space mm-hmm. and stuff, he, him and his other Nazi and Man in the Moon is the other one. Yeah, they're yeah. showing that round space station that there's mm-hmm. a better version of it in 2001, definitely. Right. But also Dr. Strangelove. I mean, Dr. Strangelove is Werner Von Braun, except he's in a wheelchair and he can't stop hiling. Wow. Uh, totally. Uh, I, yeah, I, yeah like, I, I, I couldn't, I didn't even think of that, but you're absolutely wow. right. Just the way Disney framed these doctors talk, these scientists talking in this like empty room with like one globe on the wall or something, just like all that right. stuff is very Kubrick. Um, <laughs> another, another director I think probably takes from this is Miyazaki. Like when, you know, those otherworldly aliens will just start floating around in his movies. That's like, mm-hmm. I think he's trying to get something that was in this film, or at least what I felt watching this stuff. There's one thing, too, I want to bring up. We're talking about the filmmakers that, that were influenced by Mars and Beyond. And I want to talk a little bit about the director of Mars and Beyond, which is Ward Kimball, who I feel as a bit of a kindred spirit because he was, by all accounts the lone pothead of all the Disney animators. Now, it's, you know, you look at some of these things like the pink elephants and you ask, you know, some of these square fucking conservative guys like Frank Thomas and Milt Call, like, oh man, you know, you guys must have a little bit of experience with maybe taking something or they were all almost, they, they, all they did was drink. And they would be mad and they would say, like, we just used our imaginations. But Ward was the guy who smoked pot when I joined the cartoonist union local, now known as the Animation Guild. There were drawings of, of Ward, by Ward Kimball of Mickey Mouse smoking grass. They were on the wall at the Animation Guild. They are not there anymore. <laughs> but like, you know, and, and my esteemed colleague, Brendan Birch, who is, you know, we formed uh, uh, Six Point Harness together. He was the guy at CalArts, when he went to CalArts, who would go to the phone book and look up these guys. And he went and interviewed them. And so told me that all of these guys would were annoyed with Ward because when they would go to the LA zoo to draw animals, he was always underneath the carousel getting stoned out of his fucking mind at the zoo. Like he would literally crawl under the carousel and, and smoke weed. Uh, and, and of course, like, you know, for the, and, and his reputation, you know, was slightly suffered because of that in that, in that organization. But when, um, when 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 Brennan interviewed him, you know, he had this gigantic he was like also a jazz musician, so you know, go figure. And he was super into trains just like Walt was and had a full working train in his backyard in the San Gabriel Valley. Um but when he was visited 
to uh, to get interviewed. His wife took them out to the backyard, and and Ward was there, and he had a tiny dog and a, a paper bag, and he put the dog in the bag, and he was like, watch this. <laughs> blew a gigantic, he got his dog high for his guests. Please, listeners, <laughs> don't ever do this at home. Genius animator. Love him. Speaking of, like, when Walt's not paying attention, he was too busy building Disneyland and running Disneyland and kind of uh, retreating away yes. to it. So Ward got yeah. got the book, as they would say in wrestling, on Mars and Beyond. All three of those films. And, 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 and those movies are basically, like you said, an infomercial. They are commercials for Disneyland. And so every week, like the Davy Crockett stuff, that was for Frontierland or whatever and uh Adventureland and 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 these were for Tomorrowland. I had the bootleg years later I bought the, the these little tins that they had of rarities like Disney rarities. I also want to point out if anyone is interested in further research on the genius of Ward Kimball, there's a film that he made in 1953 called Toot Whistle Plunk and Boom which won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short, which is another kind of weird documentary about the history of music. And it's just as visually inventive as all these Mars and Beyond things, but doesn't have the pseudoscience to go along with it. And it's not on Disney Plus. I've looked for it on, you told me about it, and I looked for it on Disney Plus, and it's like, um, in this, uh, Disney, you know, Hollywood's Dark it, Prince, it says that Disney, di- Walt didn't like it. So now, now we're getting into oh, Disney conspiracy theories, you know? No. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't wait to see it. it I'm so stoked to, to, to just sit back and find that thing. It, I, that's awesome. It won a fucking Academy Award. Yeah. It should be available everywhere. A lot of the look of this was influenced by an animation studio called UPA, the United production of america or whatever which was the creative directors were bob cannon and john hubley who is another giant in this world they were kind of turned off by disney and they were turned off by these kind of cute animals that were all so fully articulated and you could see them from every angle and they were really more influenced by modern art and picasso and things like that and that's what they saw that was their vision and so Disney, you know, and Ward were were not one to, you know, ignore a trend. And they, they brought it back in and they produced, they animated the fucking shit out of it. This was the most expensive episode of the Wonderful World of Disney. I mean, this thing should have won all the Emmys despite being complete bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Pseudoscience. <laughs> very, <laughs> very shoddy document as a documentary, but as a piece of entertainment, um, it is one of my absolute favorites. If I was a little kid and I saw this and Disneyland was opening, I would be so stoked to go there. You know what I mean? I'd be like, well, I want to see those. Yeah. Things, you know? <laughs> Hell yeah. I, I will say this. Trace Caballeros begins with this disclaimer on Disney Plus that this includes mm-hmm. racial stereotypes. It was wrong then. It was wrong now. Please forgive us. Uh, How far but, we've come. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Mars and Beyond begins with this black and white promo uh, for, for Disneyland. And it's got Tinkerbell dancing around the teepee doing warbles. 
And it's like, uh, where, where's the disclaimer for this? <laughs> I, I was sticking with the uh, Royal Cherry Diesel on this one. Yeah, I, I just, I watched these back to back and I did fall asleep through Mars and Beyond because I just had gotten too stoned and had to rewatch yeah. it, which I was really psyched to rewatch it, but... I think that's fine. You know, I would I would recommend an Indica Heavy for this as well. I think it's, you know, this this the, the structure of this movie is very front loaded. Like it because it starts off really high energy with all the funny gags about how stupid we were back in the Middle Ages, and then it then it starts to get a little. It, it's kind of funny because it takes you from the dawn of time until now, and then there's an obvious commercial break. And then it takes you from the dawn of time again, but in a little bit more of a serious way. And then it just kind of, it, it definitely like, like draws you in and I would recommend something very relaxing and it's okay to fall asleep. You've seen the tour de force. You're just about to watch more beauty. If you stay awake, great. If you don't, you can watch it the next day. Yeah, it's it's kind of the opposite of the Three Caballeros, where it um, it mm-hmm. starts off so full of gags and so full of characters, and then kind of yeah. eases you into this really trippy speculation about what's on Mars, and it's like really heavy and beautiful, and feels like a Brian Eno album or something, you know. And I also <laughs> recommend, yeah. I also recommend a uh, heavy indica, maybe something like a Girl Scout cookies, and I recommend mm-hmm. really taking a big old bong load or two before and during it's just just totally lose yourself in this movie watch it loud on a big screen if you can in the dark i i i would love to see this late night like at midnight at the new beverly on 35 millimeter or something i just hopefully i do get to just do that one day that would be amazing so yeah big there was loads. a recent yeah there was a recent um 35 millimeter print of it made uh that was shown uh during don hertzfeld's animation festival i think in the early part of this century around 2003 or 4 so it is floating around so quentin tarantino can fucking get it for the new beverly then then that would be fantastic they they Uh struck the new print for for the dvds from 2004 oh amazing that's that. Anytime you see something like that, and there's all of a sudden this pristine print. It's like, oh, there's a Blu-ray coming out. Like anything yeah. that shows up at, at I don't know, Pacific Film Archive or anywhere, and there's this beautiful new print. They struck a new print for the transfer. So, so that's probably when it happened. I'm so thankful this thing is on Disney Plus in this quality. I'm I'm really happy I got to yeah. view, view it for the first time this way. It was awesome. Yeah. And you can you can watch it on Disney Plus. Uh Mars and Beyond is available from Disney Plus and nowhere else, but you can buy that sweet Tomorrowland DVD set that includes it from Amazon for nearly eighty dollars. Oh Disney or Bezos are gonna get your money no matter what. <laughs> that thing is sweet I'm though. It comes in it comes in like day. a tin DVD case. It's sweet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, once again, if you'd like to reach out to us, let us know what you think of the podcast. You can email us at oldmoviesforyoungstoners at gmail.com. That's F-O-R, not number four. And that's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at O-M-4, number four, Y Stoners. That's O-M-4, Y Stoners on Twitter. <laughs> and, and before we wrap up, I'd like to dedicate this episode 
of two old movies for young stoner super fan captain john ferrari of the u.s naval reserves who is on active duty on the front lines of freedom defending our right to smoke weed watch old movies and record this ridiculous podcast the american way Woo! thanks john thanks yes. john thanks for thanks, listening john. and thanks for Thank doing you what for you're your doing. service and join us in two weeks or so when we probe the weirder reaches of the TCM hub on HBO Max with a selection of tripped out Melies shorts from over a hundred years ago and the red shoes from Pal and Pressburger in 1948. You must dance the red shoes right here on Old Movies for Young Stoners.